right, all right. Uh, thank you guys for joining, Eric and Ryan. Uh, I'm so happy you guys decided to join. It's great to get both of you guys on here. Uh, so we're going to get right into it. Uh, please tell us about yourselves and also your company. Uh, give us a brief background. For sure, Ricky. Happy to be here. Um, my name is Ryan. Uh, this is my brother, Eric. We run a footwear manufacturing company called Moves. Uh, Moves is a two-part dual-sole technology uh, footwear where it looks like it's a sneaker from the outside, but you can actually pop out the insert and have a, a slipper for the inside and um, you know, an outsole when you, you got to go on a quick trip outside, walk the dog, take out the trash, any, any of that. So we, um, so yeah, that's basically our business. Sales, um, gotcha. we've been in business for the past four years and we're north of, of 2 million, um, large part due to our airing on Shark Tank, which shared on April 5th of 2020. Um, and, you know, we're happy recipients of content syndications on um, other channels and, and internationally. So, uh, you know, the platform has really developed and allowed us to expand our, our reach and our audience. Um, and it's really been the catalyst for growth. Yeah. Okay. I, I, mm -hmm. I already know one of the first questions uh, I, that someone would ask. How did you come up with the idea mm -hmm. for, for the product? That's the first question I'm going to tackle. Yeah. Um, it was actually back when I was in college. I was studying industrial design at NJIT. And it was a project, our senior thesis, to invent or reinvent a consumer product, you know, so we started looking around, yeah. talked to Eric, started brainstorming. And, uh, you know, we always had an affinity for footwear, but we saw that, you know, um, the performance footwear was already handled by the bigger brands. And we're like, you know, the slipper market is pretty open. Like there's really no one paying attention to the slipper. We were like, what if we can make the world's, you know, coolest slipper? And, um, and that's what we try to do. We try to make some little more exciting. We put sneaker materials on it. And then once we, thought to ourselves, you know, how can we get this slipper to go outside? That's when we came up with a uh, detachable sole technology. And after that, I was like, okay, we might have something real here. Mm, okay. And then um, for viewers that might be uh, in a similar space where they're trying to think of like a different product to tackle, um, what were some, some challenges you guys ran into? Because this, this product is kind of, you know, it's not the most conventional, right? So what, what type of challenges did you guys uh, essentially, you know, encounter going this particular route at the beginning? Correct, man. It was, it's definitely not conventional. It's something that's never really been done before uh, in footwear. And, um, you know, that was the hardest part is actually making the product, you know, actually the manufacturing process of it. Without mm -hmm. without some capital, it's very hard to uh, get a manufacturer to, to agree to make you a sample because they want to know that yep. you put in a, a place of purchase order of thousands of shoes or whatever it may be. So the hardest thing was really just getting, um, you know, first proving the concept by making a prototype and then getting enough mm -hmm. money behind us to be able to out, go out there and, and manufacture the product overseas. Yeah, and it all starts with, I guess, really establishing your point of differentiation. Um, there's mm -hmm. a lot of products, there's a lot of consumer product goods in the market and really kind of identifying what's unique and different about whatever it is, whatever product you're bringing in the market is a key differentiator, a key driver to, to future growth. Because if you look and you feel and you taste like everybody else and there's nothing, nothing really representative that's completely yeah. different and unique about you, you know, yeah. people are going to typically side with products or services that are more comfortable with, so they can pretty much predetermine, um, you know, the outcome and their end result. So you really have to deliver a unique offering to the to, to your marketplace or else it would be well overlooked and you don't have the money or capital to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with some of these bigger brands. Um, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that, right? It, it's, it makes a perfect segue. What did you guys do to to separate you guys' sales to make – the customer feel more comfortable 
uh, with going with you guys versus someone that they might have trusted for years or they or have more market share? Well, it really starts with your product differentiator. With ours, with our product being that we're a two-sole shoe, one being more durable, the indoor slipper being very lightweight and comfortable. You know, we really want to communicate those attributes because that's that kind of driving or the three pillars of, of our product line. Um, but mm-hmm. then when trying to establish something that's entirely unique, um, I mean, there's a lot of challenge that come with that. But it's it's I mean, it's really best to remain authentic, um, trying to communicate to customers. I mean, we were in a unique position where Shark Tank during the airing um, of a really challenging time, the height of COVID at 2020, if people don't recall, um, that mm-hmm. was like a challenge like none other. But, you know, we were able to appropriately leverage kind of the, the, the broad audience and, and deliver a product that was best in class. You know, we wanted to really hone in on the materials that were going into it. Um, you know, give a customer a, a, a very a, a feel that they're already accustomed to. So, like, paying attention to the performance. Um, you know, making sure that the rubber was of high quality, that we had a durable insole, that it was lightweight, um, so that there was some sense of re- re- reliability in the end result. But then delivering such a unique proposition where it's two soles and you know something that really has never been seen before. Um, there's a certain wow yeah. factor that's attached to a product like this. Mm. Okay. And then did you guys have any challenges regarding marketing? That That's always the kicker. Oh my gosh. Marketing was probably the biggest challenge. Um, it's an ongoing yeah. challenge really. Yeah. So yeah, we're still figuring it out every day, you know, finding out what our, our demographic is, is, you know, what our customer needs, what they're looking for. Um, so it's definitely an ongoing process, but it, it, it's, it's definitely difficult in the beginning, uh, but luckily for us, we were able to push it enough and long enough for us to land the Shark Tank spot. And once we got that, yep. you know, we were able to, to, to attract a certain demographic that, you know, has really been a great community and they've been helping us down for, for, for this long and we're just continuing to grow on top of that. And the way you have to kind of market or um, not only market, but kind of create a narrative or uh, direction according to every platform is unique like you can't use the same mm-hmm. ads you're using on instagram on facebook it's just a different audience that you use on tiktok so trying to um match tonalities match relevancy on all these unique platforms is a constant battle um so like you know we my brother and i are really trying to look at this company as more like a production slash um you know c- customer based product rather a company right yeah. it's like purely a product play because that's just not the the world we live in today mm-hmm. yeah yep yep the hardest part okay. is getting and, something out from your customers who your customer is and then you know what do they want to see you know so it's really a trial and error we use the data that's pr- provided through us through our marketing channels to be able to to analyze that and say okay it seems like you know they're they're resonating with this more than this, so let's let's put more emphasis on this or that. Yeah, and particularly, I'm I'm glad you mentioned that. I'm glad that that, that that's a great point. It doesn't it doesn't happen enough, especially for new uh, e-commerce owners. They don't dig into the data enough. I'm glad you mentioned that. Sure. Yeah, strategy can go a long way because you could just be running in circles if you're constantly capturing content that's like really not converting sales, and you don't know yep. where going wrong. And you have the best photos, but if people aren't engaging and sharing and liking. It's going to go unnoticed. So driving a lot of what you do based on data and information is certainly like a key a key point in terms of growth and can help shorten the learning curve. Gotcha. So at the beginning, before you guys uh, landed the Shark Tank uh, uh, situation, you guys were really digging into, you know, figuring out 
using your data, what marketing efforts were going to be best. Mm-hmm. And, and I was, you would say that that was one of the things that kind of helped you guys get into position. Um, and, and let's say if there's someone that's in a similar boat to you guys and they're just getting started, were, were you guys creating this content yourself? Where did you even start? How did you know what kind of content to even, to even start with? Yeah, well, social media should be your first venture just because it's so underpriced. If you're, mm-hmm. if you're creating great content that resonates with an audience, you can drive high conversions at a relatively low cost for acquisition. Yeah, in, in the beginning, you know, definitely bootstrapping the whole thing, um, you know, searching out friends that friends that got a nice camera that can, you know, have some experience in shooting. Yeah. Set up, a, set up on, a, on a backdrop and, um, you know, get a f- couple of friends that, that, that want to model for us for free, you know, just... Yeah, take a couple mm-hmm. shots and hopefully they work. And then, then you, you got to start somewhere. You know, you're not you're not going to be ready. It's not going to be perfect. But as long as you get started and then mirroring like what other com- competing brands are doing, you yeah, don't exactly. have to reinvent the wheel. Just, you know, there's websites that you can you can go on to. I believe moat.com is, is a website. It's free. You can leverage and you can see what your competitors are doing and what messaging they're broadcasting so that you can kind of replicate mm. because they've. Um, I can imagine, and we're well informed that they pay tens of thousands or millions of, of dollars to create this content. Like whether that's yeah. production, whether that's data data testing, or that's you know, I mean, they they put a lot of time and energy into that. So you just leverage what the end result is, and then you know, replicate it. Um, that's the best way to yeah. to kind of find some success. And you don't have to be exact representation, but as long as you're kind of in the ballpark, um, I think you have a stronger chance of survival rather than just kind of turning in, in circles and hoping that things stick when the data shows that it doesn't. You guys, you guys make a great point. Cause what I've noticed often is it takes a while for the e-commerce owner to get started because they're looking at these examples and they're saying, well, Hey, they might be using, let's say Reebok for an example. Mm-hmm. And they say, Hey, you know, this doesn't exactly look like Reebok and, and they don't get their friends involved or their family involved, but they got to start from somewhere. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I, I've noticed you, you guys are the the, uh, the second group today that has mentioned they've leveraged their their friends, their family, you know, and and that helped them at the very beginning get certain things out, and then they tweaked and targeted. And those stories I've noticed they they have a parallel journey with being the most successful, leveraging what is closest to you, even though it's not perfect, so that you don't get like analysis paralysis and making that comparison. Correct. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. The hardest part is getting started. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, we're finding a lot of that. And when we talk to entrepreneurs or aspiring or someone that's kind of like currently trying to pursue their own endeavor, it's typically like the first hazard, the first hurdle is usually like, where do you yeah. start? There's no template yep. for this stuff. You know, that's, that's a thing. Like, you know, people can give advice all day, but a lot of people kind of really need to see like in practicality, what action steps, what call to action you need to do, like timelines, you know, it's, mm-hmm. there's a degree of organization. There's a degree of motivation. You have to be like insanely passionate about what you're doing or else, you know, you'll, you'll quit. Like, mm-hmm. So what was, what was something that's going to be interesting. What was something that was, that was uh, more difficult at the beginning that you thought it would be like something you, you, you might have underestimated at, at first. Like, hey, I thought this would have been a more straightforward deal, and it turned out to be a nightmare. I think I, th- I really think for me at least was mm-hmm. the, was the marketing that we were uh, explaining about before. It was just, mm-hmm. you know, after how hard it was to make the product um, and how long it took and how much time and, and money we invested into it, I'm thinking, all right, now we got the product. We're going to put a, a quick website together. 
People are going to flock yeah. to it. Mm. Everything gets set. We're <laughs> off to the sunset. But it really doesn't work like that. You know, like you really got to uh, to have a strategy. You have to have some some money to put behind the advertisement um, and just overall marketing strategy. So at the beginning stages, thinking that it was going to be an easy ride, it definitely wasn't. Um, and we learned that quickly. But it didn't. we didn't let it stop us. We kept going. We kept innovating. And finally, you know, landed the landed the position that we or we needed to be in at the time. Yeah. I mean, also considering how many funnels there are, you know, not just like paid, you have to consider organic. So getting some yeah. release and getting out there like an organic way to save some on, on cost on, on cost of marketing. You have to feature pop-up shops. If that's like an application that you can do. I mean, COVID is complicated, but there's certain brands that are working around that um, like experiential, you know, opportunities, SMS, um, email marketing, you know, yeah. there's so many things you have to consider. Like the marketing funnel is massive and you can't just be like, a, some brands can get away with it because they have reputation and whatnot. But if you're emerging and you're kind of break, trying to break through, you have to hit people at a high frequency. So you have to make sure like email marketing is, is ready to go. Your SMS is, is there. You have some organic also with paid and you have to hit a customer at least seven times before they really consider purchasing. So, you know, um, but there's also a lot of opportunities out there that, you know, weren't available, you say 10 years ago, you know, with Instagram and, and all these uh -huh. platforms now, TikTok is great for advertising. So it's going to get a little bit easier, but, um, you know, you always want to have a good starting place, a good strategy, a uh, plan of attack. And you don't have to be an expert, but yeah. you have to know a little bit, a lot about a lot. <laughs> yeah. A little bit about everything. Yeah, because you have to have like an informed conversation when it comes to email and SMS and open rates and you know the data that you're mm -hmm. looking to see and driving forces and you know if if you don't if you don't know then it, the conversation will be going right over your head and you're going to be pouring money in the wrong places. So definitely take the time so, to do your research and to learn about you know the market the marketing strategy that you're implementing. Okay, and so um uh, this question is going to be a little a little wacky, right? And so. Because of the timing that you guys emerged, it was, you know, it's during the, the beginning of the COVID situation. Have you guys, um, have you guys noticed a difference in, in, in you guys' data from sales and retention from around that time, right? Like maybe a little bit after around the same time as the, uh, the Shark Tank appearance to right now where some places might be more open uh, and now people are maybe less glued to their computer. Have you guys noticed one, a difference in that? And then also... If you guys, if you guys have noticed a difference, or it's something you're thinking about, do you guys have a plan to, to um, for you know when things maybe open back up? Do you guys think will there be some changes there, or you guys will be pretty steady on that on that front? Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I think I think it definitely um, has made leisure footwear. It brought that to the forefront where before it was all about mm -hmm. either performance or or or, or formal. Uh, football mm -hmm. was like the main football but now everybody's jumping into this leisure space you know the crocs are so yes. hot right now and just being comfortable because everyone was working from home for so long and you know without that i don't think we'll ever move on from that we're always gonna be going closer and closer to people working remotely um mm -hmm. there was a period home. in time where they were trying to figure out if athleisure was a fad or a trend yeah now we know it's yeah, yeah. you know so i think that that yeah something that definitely you know, had worked in our favor um, then and is still doing it now. And I think it's going to continue. So we're definitely going to be attacking that even more. 
going forward? Yeah, for me, the question is more of a two-prong approach, one being fashion and, and consumerism is oftentimes very cyclical. So you'll see high shopping in like Q3 or Q4, um, and then like a really steady ease in Q1 and Q2 before it ramps up in, in summer and winter. Um, so, you know, us, like a lot of CPG brands, we're not seasonal, but we do see an impact in when January, February, March, April roll around. Um, and then, you know, where we were in terms of like the economy and stability during 2020, like no one knew if it was going to be Armageddon or if we were going to go yeah. into recession or depression. So, um, you know, it's hard to say because like we weren't at like full, the economy wasn't at full throttle. I think if people right. knew that like it was just like a passing thing and then the better times are ahead and, and the tensions will, will soon ease. Um, we, yeah. we would probably have experienced more of a spike. Not that like the spike that we did receive was already um, almost insurmountable, but if like given a lot of variables that were at play, um, it'd be yes. interesting to see like how it would have worked out if we weren't at the height of a pandemic, a global shutdown and quarantining and all that. Um, but yep. we're seeing, you know, there, there are returning customers who are a bit more conscientious about tracking during bacteria back on the home, which plays in our favor. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to say, um, but yeah, cause it, it's a lot of variables there. Like, yeah. you know, especially if you're, if you're on, on, on an ongoing basis, looking through your data, right. And if it's a steady timeline, there's certain variables you can kind of account for, yeah. but during these particular times, there's so many different ones. Yeah. It's going to make next year's comparison a bit difficult. Yeah. That's why we don't, we can't really draw too much inspiration or try and forecast like 2020 numbers just because yeah. that year was just so unpredictable. Like yes. if we would have, let's say the episode aired instead of being April and September, like right before Christmas and holiday shopping went down, Yeah, we would have sold yeah. 10 million pairs in a month, you know, but we, yeah. when April, we aired in April at the height of a pandemic and still did, did relatively well in comparison. So um, I think the next platform for us not only is like a broader exposure in terms of audience, but targeting retail customers and giving customers like more of a holistic um, approach in, in terms of purchasing our product, not just coming to our website, but, you know, log on to Amazon, going to, you know, a major retailer like a Macy's or a Nordstrom or a Saks Fifth Avenue and then, you know, having product available or maybe boutiques, you know, we're in Jersey City with a handful mm -hmm. of small shops that, um, you know, appreciate what we're doing and want to support. Um, so, you know, introducing our product to, to more of these kind of platforms where people can purchase in store, being that to your point, the economy is reopening. Um, yeah. benefits everybody benefits us in a way where we can sell products in, in a more holistic view and helps boutique owners drive traffic to their stores because there's only exclusive places where you can get them. So there's something I've noticed also, especially at the beginning. Um, one of the, um, one of the ways that beginner e-commerce brands kind of think about the marketing piece is they try to leverage influencers because they feel like it's a way of skipping the line, right? Yeah. Um, have you guys engaged influencers? And if you have, what's been you guys' approach? Man, that was tough because yeah. like we have, um, you know, tried the influencer route. Um, it hasn't really yielded like the response that we thought um, we were going to get mm -hmm. from it. So, but I, I, at the same time, I don't want to like say that it doesn't work. I, th I don't, maybe it's just, the way that we're doing it, the approach we're going at it hasn't worked yet, but um, for us, it hasn't worked so far, but that doesn't mean it won't work in the future. Uh, there's a lot of cool new apps that kind of um, connect brands with these influencers. So maybe, you know, mm -hmm. utilizing some of those platforms might be a better fit for us. Um, also the audience too, we've learned now through data and Facebook analytics that our demographic is, is much older than we anticipated. 
we were thinking mm. high school, college student would be like our ideal mm. customer base because they typically, you know, purchase a lot of Crocs and we typically see that demo in, yes. in this floor. But, you know, based on now our three years of like national variety and, and, and just a plethora of information, we're now seeing that our age demo is, is much older than that. You know, we're yeah, I, I could see that. Uh, I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. So like our approach that at that period wasn't the right one. But now that we have information necessary to make these like well-informed decisions, um, you know, we'll be leveraging influencers that better fit, you know, our target. Because if you don't know these numbers and you don't understand like who you're selling products to, like it's going to be yeah. possible for you smaller brands to like pop, man. And it's unfortunate, but like you got to understand like who you're selling to. You know, you don't have to create like this well-detailed uh, customer avatar where like a lot of people, you know, try and get you to do. And like, yeah, that's important, but just like really understand more or less like based on the numbers, not like your ideal customer, because that's not going to pay the bills. Who is purchasing and why? Not who you yep. want to purchase, because I we've often done, we've experienced those exercises where, you know, we're building a model of person like us, like, oh, they watch this channel, they subscribe to this newsletter, like, that is not the yeah that could be the ideal but that's not the guy who's actually like purchasing your buying product. from you so yeah by designing an avatar based on who you want is like a waste of an exercise just figure out through like small incremental data it doesn't have to be in in the micro just a smaller amount you know location age demo and then you can start drilling down like education level salary level you know are they single are they married all that matters at scale but when you're trying to mm. generate some sales in the early stages, just figure out who's buying and why or why not. So that's, that's definitely a good tip. So, you know, watching this video, that's, you know, your avatar who's actually buying your customer. That could be two different things. That could, that could be two very different things. Different people. Yeah. Mm. And a lot of new, new time uh, founders want to sell to themselves. Like, oh, yeah. I want this product. I would love it. <laughs> yeah. I like it. This way. I like it. You know, it's but just, they really yeah. look at that data and say, okay, what what is the community asking me for yeah, and providing that? To a waste of an exercise, really. I mean, you won't understand mm. that unless you're in, like, you're in it and you're living it. Now that, you know, we're three or four years into it, and I look back, I'm like, oh my God, that was such a waste of, of time. So I just created yep. a guitar that like it was me, <laughs> you know, and <laughs> I found out that that wasn't a customer base. So, yes. you know, just, yeah, don't, don't overcommit, you know, to an idea or a concept until it's proven out. Okay. All right. So if you could offer two things, two things to uh, someone watching, someone just getting started. Uh, actually, I, I'm, I'm going to split the baby here. Mm. One thing for someone that's just getting started. One thing for someone that's trying to scale. What, what would those two things be? Um, someone that's just getting started. Um, this is usually my go-to, but it's it's truth. Um, just you know, ensure that you're at least reserving four to five years for this journey. You're insanely passionate about the product and whatever your mission is, or it's a service, or it's a product based. Um, and have encouraging people around you because you tend to become who you're trying yourself with. So the people that you're, you're next to isn't encouraging you and giving you constructive feedback and helping you be better then you know, you, your likelihood of success is going to be limited. So make sure like, you know, make sure that you're dedicating enough time. It's not going to have an overnight shark, a shark tank success is not an overnight success this is three, four five years yeah. in the making. So, carve that pathway for yourself, making sure that you have some money in the bank, 
surrounding yourself with good people and that you like absolutely love and believe in the product. And for yeah. someone who's, yeah, I would say for someone know, that's, that's been in it for a while, uh, I would say just don't be afraid to adapt. Don't be afraid to, to take on this, this, these new things that are popping up left and right. These new tools, like say TikTok, there might be a founder that's been in it for a few years, making money and thinking that that's, it's going to be that way forever. But you know, things always change. There's always new things to, 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 to tap into. So yeah. I would say like, you know, be open to, to trying those, to trying new things, even though you are, you know, in the business for a few years and you've been successful, you can be more successful if you just have an open mind. Okay. So th those are great. All right. So, um, if you could, uh, leave the audience with anything before we depart, what would that be? And, and also, is there anything you guys want to let the audience know? Um, Floor is yours. I'd say, you know, for me, um, it's really that having that that inner inner talk with yourself constantly, checking in with yourself, making sure that you're on the right path. Um, you know, uh, and building, try to try to try your best to try to build it from how you want it to to end from the start. So really think about what that five, ten, ten year plan is, and build backwards from that. Uh, a lot of people just start, go with the flow, and see what falls. But if you have a goal and a, and a mission in your mind that's that you know you can attain and you make a plan to that a step-by-step plan it's a lot more realistic mm -hmm. and having that and have being able to 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 call on those realistic milestones will help you to stay motivated because a lot of times especially in the beginning when you're starting out you you know things might not be going your way and you you want to give up but if you have those little incremental step-by-step -step processes that are all lined up for you it's really going to have you have help you with the roadmap to get to where you want to go. Yeah, definitely relish the wins because success is oftentimes fleeting. You'll we find ourselves like, you know, celebrating wins, but then like being nuanced by all these challenges and things that we aren't yeah. doing, you know, but you know, at the same time, take a step back and understand like you've come a long way. Um, and as you know, as Brian's saying, reverse engineering the system and making sure that, you know, you're acknowledging the success that you do receive just because a lot of the challenges is, is, is seemingly unsurmountable but you know if you have a plan and strategy for success you know you'll get there eventually and for us i think you know making an announcement that we're going to be dropping a mid top this spring um is something we're really excited about this is the first time in the past four years that we put our design hats on and went back to work with the concept so it's been ready for almost a year and we're ready to kind of release it to the world we'll be um debuting a, a kickstarter campaign um, in in april or may um, but you'll start seeing hopefully some targeted uh, emails and ads um, come this yeah. March. And, you know, we're considering, you know, as this platform serves as, as uh, a voice for those that are looking for discovery or a place to start, you know, we're, we're considering maybe doing the same. So if there's other founders that want to chat with us offline, have some few questions that we can help, um, you can email us at cofounders at moves.co. Um, and you'll be speaking directly with me and Ryan. We'll help you as much as we can. I mean, you know, we're, we're trying to run our own company, but we certainly want to, um, you know, to help those that are in need and that are, that are passionate about, you know, their, their, their entrepreneurial spirit. Yeah. And, and you can find us at, uh, like Eric said, co-founders at moves.co. Um, we're also, our website is moves.com, M-U-V-E-Z.com. Uh, we're on all social platforms under moves or moves footwear. All right. I'll make sure I put the links and emails in the description. Awesome. Appreciate that. Thank you. All right. Uh, I am so happy you guys decided to join. Uh, thank you. Thank oh, you. Man, it was yeah, a pleasure. To be here. Yeah, it was awesome. Thank mm -hmm. you so much, Ricky.